In today's gospel, we have uh, a very famous saying of our Lord. He says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. Now, over the course of the entire church's history, it is this text more than any other that has been the place where theologians go to discuss the proper understanding of the relationship between the church and the state. The state being represented by Caesar and the church, of course, being represented by God. Today is also World Mission Sunday, when Catholics all across the world renew their commitment to the church's mission. Now, there's actually a very close relationship between these two things, between the church's mission on the one hand and a proper understanding of the relationship between Caesar and God, between state and church on the other. And so, I'd like to speak about these things today. And I will do so in essentially five main steps, and then I'll end with some practical applications for us in the here and the now. So the first, the first point that I'd like to make, or the first principle you should understand, is that God has placed on the church the obligation of preaching the gospel to all nations. And this obligation brings with it, it's a very simple concept, this obligation brings with it a corresponding right and freedom to preach the gospel. So the state, when it interferes with the church's mandate to spread the faith, the state is acting unjustly. That would be the first point. The second point is that we must understand if the church is from God, so also, so also is the state. Both are from God. And they have their respective jobs to do. The church's main job is to ensure that men and women all across the world go to heaven. The state's job is to ensure the temporal prosperity and welfare of the citizens. So that would be the second point. There is, uh, from a Christian point of view, a certain sort of separation of church and state that is just. And if properly understood, it is, is truly an authentically Christian. But this is where the trick comes in and where we have to be careful. Just because the church has as its main job bringing people to heaven, it doesn't mean that it doesn't also have legitimate interests and concerns in the things of this earth. And <clears throat> all we have to do to determine the rights of the church when it comes to earthly things is simply ask ourselves the question, are these earthly things uh, in question necessary for the church to do its job? Various things like property, money, things like that. So, take for example the material and the human resources that are associated with things like Catholic charities or adoption agencies or Catholic education or Catholic hospitals. Are these things necessary for the church to do its job of spreading the gospel to all nations? 
Yes, they are. Therefore, the states cannot interfere, intervene in these matters. It's the church's right, it's the church's prerogative to be able to administer these things according to its mission. And I think this is where the, the rub between the church and the state often happens. And currently, uh, right now, and for going on for quite some time now, there's been a conflict between our, our American bishops and our, our presidents over this very issue. Essentially what's happening is that the nation, uh, the national government is dictating to the church what is and is not its proper sphere of administration and interest. And this is where the injustice comes in because the, the church's mission was given to her by Jesus Christ and not by the nation. So the church, by divine right, knows what is and is not in the purview of its mission. So that, that's where the, the rock comes in. So what we can see here is that there is an overlap between the interests of the church and the interests of the state. And this brings us to the fourth point that I would make is that when the legitimate interests of the state and the legitimate interests of the church overlap, the, the state has the obligation to defer to the church's prerogatives. Um, take, for example, education. Now, it's within the interest of a civil authority to ensure that the members of civil society are well educated. There's no doubt about that. And any state that didn't uh, take care of the education of its citizens would be, would be gravely failing in its duties. Nonetheless, education is also the immediate concern of the church. In fact, education just is the manner by which the church carries out her divine mandate to preach the gospel to all nations. Therefore, the state has no right to intervene in the church's educational endeavors. And in fact, um, there, here's a quote that I have from Pius XI, who I believe he's the one that started Divine uh, World Mission Sunday. Pius XI taught that it's unjust for any civil power to, and this is a quote here, monopolize education in such a way that Catholics are practically forced to make use of government schools contrary to the dictates of their conscience or contrary even to their legitimate preferences. So, and I think as we all know, unfortunately, our nation's current mode of administering and distributing school taxes is therefore unjust. And it has seriously, very seriously hindered the church's divine mission. Well, up until this point, I have been speaking about the relationship between the church and the state in terms that are quite adversarial. But I could just as easily speak about the relation between the church and the state in terms that are harmonious and mutually beneficial. And this brings us to our fifth uh, and final principle. And that is that, fundamentally speaking, there's no need for the church and the state to be at odds with one another. They're both from God's. They're like the left hand and the right hand of God. And uh, they can work in harmony with one another. And it's a very beautiful thing when they do. They're a great benefit to each other. When they do, when they respect each other's, when they honor each other's proper boundaries, and when they do each other's, when they do their respective jobs, uh, both benefit greatly. The, the Lord has placed in the earth the church as the moral authority in the entire world. 
And any state that would look to the church for guidance when it would legislate uh, and make laws would be, would be very wise to do so. Any society permeated by the truths of the gospel is a flourishing and healthy society. And conversely, when the church has the state for its friend instead of its rival, uh, an innumerable number of obstacles are taken out of the way and it can fulfill its mission. And the gospel speeds along and prospers and the salvation of men is all that much more secure. So let's consider just a few practical applications for us. Let's return again to uh, the topic of, of education, Catholic education. The Second Vatican Council taught that, and this is a quote as well, civil authority has the obligation to see to it that public subsidies are paid out in such a way that parents are truly free to choose according to their conscience the schools they want for their children. So we've all probably heard of and are familiar with something called a voucher system. Something like a voucher system, as it's been practiced here and there in America, is in alignment at least with what uh, the Second Vatican Council is talking about. So a very concrete and practical thing that we can do as Catholics is simply uh, write to our state legislators and, and promote vouchers. But in any event, uh, whatever we do as Catholics to promote Catholic education, we are furthering the divine mandate to preach the gospel to all nations. Uh, second practical suggestion, as we all know, up and coming we have uh, on November 4th, we've got our elections. And uh, another practical way we as Catholics can promote the church's mission is simply to vote for the candidate whose policies are going to be most advantageous uh, to the church's mission, or at least the least uh, uh, hindrance to the church's mission. And so that, that entails that we, first and foremost, form our conscience according to the teaching of the church. Secondly, that we educate ourselves according to the respective positions of the candidates. And then we get out and vote. And then finally, uh, and I, I feel like I've got the right to do this maybe because I haven't done it yet, I'd like to push vocations. I think that we as Catholics, another wonderful way we can promote uh, the church's mission is to encourage vocations to the religious life and to the priesthood. The, the religious life in particular, the, the corporate witness of holiness that the religious orders provide to the world is a remarkably powerful means of witnessing the truth of the gospel. And there are many, uh, I encourage if there are any young women here or young men, uh, I encourage you to consider religious life. There are uh, very good, sound uh, religious orders currently right now that are dedicated to promoting the truths of the Catholic faith. I'm thinking in particular of various Dominican groups right now. They're old, they're experienced, uh, but their members are new. There's been lots of new vocations. It's a very exciting time, so please consider that. And then finally, the priesthood. Um, of course, I want to blame you if you don't trust me in what I'm about to say because, you know, I'm kind of biased on being a priest myself. But the priesthood is, is a wonderful vocation. And it is the first instrument that God uses to promote the gospel in the world. And we need courageous young men to dedicate their entire life to the gospel and to the salvation of souls. So, young men, young boys out there, please consider the priesthood 
Uh, it's a, it takes a lot of work to become a priest, and it's a lot of work when you're a priest, but it's phenomenally fulfilling. And I encourage you, come join me and my brother priests. We've got a lot of work to do, and we can further together the church's mission. So, in closing, my brothers and sisters, let us all today renew our commitment to the missionary task given to us by our Lord. While being good citizens of our beloved nation, nation, and thereby giving to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, let us, first and foremost, give to God what belongs to God. We will thereby be upholding the rights of all men and women to enjoy the real possibility of receiving the true faith. And moreover, we will be upholding God's rights to be known and loved throughout the world.